Hi, just want to say thanks for all the reviews at Apple Podcasts. If you haven't rated and reviewed us, please consider doing it now. It takes just a couple of minutes. Thank you. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. You've probably seen one of those encounters recorded on a phone. It's usually in a market or a restaurant. One person telling another to speak English. Not fun to listen to. And I don't know if the people who object to Spanish being spoken, it's usually Spanish, I don't know if those people know that the U.S. doesn't have an official language. Also, it's hard to tell if there are more of these kinds of confrontations these days or if there are just more ways of recording them and posting them online. What we can say, though, is that in the past dozen or so years, more prominent politicians have been pushing the idea that everyone should just speak English. This is Alabama. We speak English. If you want to live here, learn it. When you're here, let's speak American. Let's speak English and, and that's one nation, one language, and the language has to be English. The White House has got in on the act too with a proposal for a new immigration law. Future immigrants will be required to learn English and to pass a civics exam prior to admission. And these kinds of ideas and confrontations, they're not just happening in the US. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Patrick Cox. Today, we take you to the Netherlands, a country where ideas about immigrants and language have changed 180 degrees. And where the Dutch are going, other nations are following. I meet Hasna Boerza in a suburb of Amsterdam, in a room overlooking a school. Hasna's in her 40s. She's the youngest of seven children. In the 1970s, her father left Morocco to seek work in Europe. He ended up in the Netherlands. And then in 77, we all joined him. A lot of Moroccan families were doing the same thing at the time. The Netherlands had a labor shortage, and so they invited so-called guest workers to the country. They came by the thousands every year. And no one in Hasna's family was sure how long they'd actually be there. There was this idea of, you know, at one point we will be returning back home. And, but that idea just, you know, vanished and we settled and we stayed. Most Moroccans lived in Dutch cities, but the Buaza family moved to a village. It set them apart from other Moroccans. And it set them apart from their new neighbors, too. We were the only Moroccan family and we were the only ones for years and years and years. And I was the only Moroccan girl in my class. Did you learn Dutch by going to school? Yeah. And I do remember very vividly the moment that I realized that I had learned Dutch very quickly. I was playing with children at kindergarten and that I all of a sudden realized, you know, I speak Dutch and it went very quickly. Hasna's Dutch came in handy in all kinds of ways. When there were papers to be, you know, filled in, that's what we did, the children. So we would translate and go along with them to doctors or appointments. All that sort of stuff, that's what we did. These Dutch-speaking Moroccan siblings, they might have been called model immigrants if the Dutch government had any kind of a model in mind, but it didn't. 
Instead, it just let things take their course, which for guest workers and their families meant sink or swim. That's what it was like at school, too. I had a teacher who he wasn't that kind and who wasn't that, you know, positive about Moroccans or, or Arabs or foreigners in general, so it was a bit much. A lot of kids also left her feeling the same way. They never fail to remind you that you're different. Hasna didn't know it at the time, but her family was an exception. The vast majority of guest workers from Morocco and Turkey and elsewhere, the ones who lived in the cities, their children were being taught in separate classes from the Dutch kids. They were often being taught in their own native languages. School officials at the time thought, why bother teaching them Dutch? They're going to go home in a few years anyway. And nothing was done to integrate them in the society. This is Ricky van Ers, who's an immigration law specialist at Radboud University in the Dutch city of Nijmegen. The authorities thought too easily of asking someone to come over to work, stay for 20 years and then go back. They didn't realize that they were roots in society, especially after uh, they brought their family members over. And after that, well, I guess there was a point of no return because the children started coming over, started learning a Dutch in school, making friends. So it took a while that the authorities realized that, oh, these guest workers are not going to return. When the penny finally dropped, the Dutch government realized it needed to treat these families as permanent fixtures in the country. The government offered free Dutch language classes to parents and enrolled kids into regular classes at school taught in Dutch. By the 1990s, Ricky says, there were signs of progress. Moroccans, Turks and others were, quote, becoming Dutch. It was clear that it would take time, a generation or two, but the language barrier was gradually falling away. The optimism, though, was short-lived. Goedemiddag, u kijkt naar een extra nieuwsuitzending in verband met aanslagen die in New York op het World Trade Center een uur geleden... 9-11 transformed Dutch public opinion. Before then, anti-Islamic politicians were fringe figures, mainly ignored. But all of a sudden, demagogues like Pim Fortuyn became popular. And for me is the Islam an import culture. I say it maar is so. Islam is an import culture, Fortuyn is telling his supporters. He puts it another way. The guests can't be allowed to take over the house. Fortuyn was assassinated not long after this. Not by an immigrant, but by a Dutch-born man with a personality disorder. But because Fortuyn spoke out against Islam and immigrants, he became something of a martyr to those causes. Since his death, one anti-immigrant firebrand after another has climbed the ladder of Dutch politics. Right now, it's Heert Wilders. He's nearly reached the top of the ladder. He's helped broker legislation, and his party collaborated for a time with the ruling coalition. Here's the kind of thing he says about Moroccan immigrants. Whereas the Moroccan scum in Holland, and once again, not all are scum, but there is a lot of Moroccan scum in Holland who makes the streets unsafe. Mostly, mostly, young, mostly young people. One of the Dutch values used to be, or at least that's something that they you know, were very proud of, was the tolerance. This is Hasna Boerza again. Dutch tolerance is well known. It turned the Netherlands into a pioneer, legalizing gay marriage and prostitution and marijuana. Also, it was a tolerance of the other, a tolerance of other cultures, of other ideas, and that's, it's nearly lost. So who's considered Dutch now? And how much does speaking the language 
have to do with it? That's after the break. Subtitle is a part of the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. Among the other Hub and Spoke podcasts is one I especially love, The Lonely Palette. Each episode takes you behind the scenes of one piece of art. Right now, host Tamar Avishai is doing a series on artworks by women, all currently exhibited at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. The latest episode is about a painting by Georgia O'Keeffe, a wonderful, mysterious painting. Give a listen to The Lonely Palette and check out all of the Hub & Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. How do you define your nationality? What is it about you that makes you carry a particular passport? I'm willing to bet that for most Americans, it's not the English language. There are too many other people whose first language is English. Irish, Aussies, Canadians, even Brits, who Americans had to kick out in order to become America. Sorry about that. I think most Americans define themselves in a different way. Something to do with ideas. It's different ideas for different people, like live free or die, maybe, or the pursuit of happiness, or all people are created equal, the right to worship, even the right to bear arms. But English isn't exclusively American. Sorry again. So in contrast, take a language like Icelandic. Virtually no one outside Iceland speaks Icelandic. The language defines Icelanders. It certainly helps that it's related to Old Norse and all of those wild sagas. And Icelanders, they have a song, an anthem that for a while was more popular than their national anthem. It's called Land, Nation and Tongue. That's how much the language means to them. Dutch is somewhere between Icelandic and English. Back in the 17th and 18th centuries, the Dutch had an empire, which means that today there are a few isolated spots around the world where Dutch, or a close relation to it, is spoken. Suriname, South Africa, parts of Belgium. But for the most part, when it comes to Dutch, the people-to-language equation is simple. Hello, goedemiddag. Dutch is spoken by Dutch people in the Netherlands. Which is partly why Dutch people want foreigners to learn Dutch. Why their government insists on it, with some exceptions. More on that in a bit. So we outsiders, as much as we associate the Dutch with windmills and canals and coffee shops, coffee shops, that is the dumbest euphemism. As much as we associate these things with being Dutch, we shouldn't overlook the language. Dutch people don't. So, sorry, excuse me. Spreekt u Nederlands? Around the time of 9-11, the Dutch government stopped offering free language classes to immigrants. More and more politicians declared that integration had failed, that multiculturalism was an ideal that didn't work in practice. This despite a government report that painted a far rosier picture. Assimilation and language learning, it said, was well on the way to achieving its goals. But no one wanted to hear that. So the Dutch government changed its policies again. They told people who wanted long-term work permits that they had to take private Dutch classes, paying for it themselves with the help of 10,000 euro loans from the government, and then pass a language proficiency exam. And if they don't pass this exam within a certain period of time. Currently, that period of time is three years. 
and they are fined. This is legal scholar Ricky van Oos again. She's not impressed with most of the private companies that offer Dutch classes to immigrants. There are a lot of uh, dodgy language centers promising immigrants free laptops, taking their money, and then after three years, they still haven't passed their exam. Fewer immigrants are passing the language test, either because the required level is higher or because they can't afford the classes. But look at it another way. Fewer people from poorer countries like Morocco are bothering to take the test in the first place and even trying to get a work visa. Which of these scenarios is it? It may depend on what you want, more assimilation or fewer immigrants. Fewer people are coming to the Netherlands from Morocco and other poorer countries. And that, to some Dutch people, does look like success. Whatever it is, Ricky says, in Europe, the Dutch have been ahead of the game. I think the Netherlands uh, can be perceived as sort of a guiding country. The Netherlands is very proud to have taken up that role. And you see that different European countries have copied the Dutch model. In spite of that, some in the Dutch government have recognized they have a broken system on their hands. Immigrants don't learn Dutch. The government doesn't offer proper support. And so there's no end in sight to right-wing politicians calling immigrants lazy and scum. A small centrist political party called D66 in the ruling coalition, it's pushing to revamp the system. And it thinks it has the support of enough other coalition members to actually pass new legislation. I spoke with a D66 member of parliament about this. His name is... Jan Paternotte. Jan Paternotte. That's very good. Politicians, eh? They know how to butter you up. Anyway, he told me that under the new plan, the private language schools will be regulated, licensed and subsidized. There won't be a completely free market with all the cowboys involved anymore. And that's a lot better. And also people won't have to take this loan of 10,000 euros. We know that most people aren't able to pay it back anyhow. So we're not going to make people borrow money the first day they have a status here in this country. So they won't have to uh, start their life here with uh, a significant deficit. So free language classes. It may work or the legislation may get watered down so the loans and the debt remain part of the system. And by the time of the next election, right-wingers will say Moroccans and others just don't want to learn Dutch. There are, of course, fault lines between the Dutch-born and the foreign-born. And learning the language isn't going to solve everything. But there's something else that many people overlook, something that makes it seem as though there's kind of a two-tiered system in operation here. Earlier, I said there are exceptions to the Dutch insistence that immigrants learn their language. Pretty big exceptions. In the European Union, for example, there's freedom of movement. Anyone with an EU passport can move to the Netherlands and stay there without speaking a word of Dutch. Many do. And rather than learn Dutch, they find that they can get by in a language they're likelier to have learned at school, English. It's true that many people can live here and be quite successful with not speaking Dutch, but only English, especially in the, the bigger cities. I ask Jan Paternotte about this. Surely that's a threat to Dutch language and culture? Nah, he says. So many people feel uh, that this language is threatened, but I think that's a, that's a sensation that people tend to have from time to time. I mean, in the 17th century, people were worried that uh, Latin was taking over um, uh, science. Many Dutch scientists only wrote their books in Latin. In the late 18th century, people were worried that French was taking over our country. We have many French words in our language. And now uh, the same is true for English. So, sorry, excuse me. Several Dutch people told me similar things. 
And it seems like there's a lost irony here. I mean, who's more integrated? The children of a Moroccan guest worker who went to Dutch schools and learned Dutch? Or a Brit or an Italian or a Latvian who lives and works in Amsterdam in an English-language bubble? Hasna Buaza is a successful writer today. She writes in Dutch about being Dutch, and she talks to me in English about it. Dutch values, she says, need to change, not fundamentally, but in ways that allow for a few more accommodations. The makeup, after all, of the population has changed. There are now around 400,000 first- and second-generation Moroccans who call the Netherlands home. And enough, she says, with that whole idea of Dutch tolerance. Tolerance means that you have one person tolerating the other, but what you want is acceptance, full acceptance. No, you know, ifs or buts. Hasna lives in the Dutch countryside, not far from the small village she grew up in. She doesn't stay in touch with too many people from her youth. But one way or the other, she gets plenty of reminders of those times. Like recently, when she was interviewed. I went to a radio show, and I don't know where, there was some subject I had to talk about. And one of the two presenters, one of the co-hosts, her sister was one of the teachers in my elementary school. So we did the, you know, the, the interview on the radio, and then when I finished and I was leaving, she, told, she said to me, well, you Dutch is so good, my sister did a good job. And I was like, no, 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 you know, no. That's, and it was just, I was like, well, when is this going to stop? You know, my Dutch is good because of me. It's not, you know, something that you can claim. But also, when is it going to stop? You know, I've been here practically my whole life. Stop it. It's not a compliment. It's not kind. It's, it's just another way to tell me that I'm different. And also to be thankful or something. You know, I don't need to be thankful. What I did is, you know, that's I only can thank myself or my parents, you know, but I don't need to thank anyone for my Dutch or for what I accomplished. And there is a sense, you know, in Dutch society that we, you know, bicultural Dutch people need to be grateful, but that's, you know, it's not gonna happen because this, you know, we're claiming this as our country as well. That's our show for today. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks to Sarah Wallace-Goodman, Ben Coates, Jeremy Helton, Lisbeth Sears, Tracy K. Denton, Jos Balen, Carol Zoll, Clark Boyd, Laura Rumbly, The World Public Radio Show, an hour of international news and culture every weekday, and everyone at Rose Stories in Amsterdam. Thanks also to our co-producers, the Linguistic Society of America. You can help keep this podcast going by donating to the Linguistic Society. Every dollar counts, I promise you. Go to subtitlepod.com slash about. That is subtitlepod.com slash about. Thank you. Don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. We'll be back with another episode soon. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. And if you're still listening and in need of some new tunes to wash your hands to, I gotta say, some of the other languages have English beaten. Here's a song in the Thai language. (laughs) 
And Chinese. And this Vietnamese song, you may have heard it, it's really taken off. Cause 